This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. You're listening to the We're Not Fine podcast with Doug Jensen and Dr. Talia Jackson. Hey, gang. Good morning, all y'all. Or afternoon or <laughs> evening, whenever it is. Or, or midnight, <laughs> potentially. Wow, it could be any time of the day or night, depending How on who. How's life? Life is, uh, life has been recently for me a little complicated. Mm. So I have referenced in a few different podcasts. I mean, we talk a lot in this room and in this podcast about our developmental pieces of our life and how we repeat patterns from our childhood and what we learned. Um, and I have referenced that I've had some uh, unfortunate, maybe uh, kind of abusive, neglectful types of things that have gone on in my childhood. Um, and when our parents are those people, of course, we all have decisions to make about how we try to make our lives different than that. I will tell you all um, that my mother, who is the last of my parents to be surviving, um, actually died two weeks ago in a memory care facility. And I actually spoke with our previous guest, Kelly, a little bit about it, who talks a lot about complicated grief. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit about it just to say it's really fascinating how grief works. So years and years and years ago, I did a lot of work with my own therapist on how it is that that relationship with my parents and my mother in particular complicated my life, but also how I could resolve it and bring some closure to it. And I will say that upon my mother's death, I had this interesting response that I got out of bed when I got the news. My sister called me, the the hospice worker called me. Um, And as I was in my underwear from the night, um, I put on some amazing dance music and I started dancing around the room. And I'm like, this is an odd response. My mother just died. And yet it's not. So I just want to say it is incredibly complicated. Thank you for that word. And I feel an odd sense. And I've had so many of my friends, such as the two of you, comment to me that, of course, it's really normal to feel some relief and really normal to feel some closure. And those might be the two words that I would say are the most prevalent for me right now. So I really want to say to like, as I bring up that as a topic to, uh, to intro to this podcast episode, just really normalize that we all have our different experiences. And depending on what we've done with our relationships, with our families of origin or our parents or other people who may have died in our lives, it really does make it important to really honor what your experience is. And I, I felt odd about it. Like, I feel weird that I haven't cried. I haven't felt anything. I have a memorial service left to attend at the end of this month. But it is amazing how relief and closure can be a very satisfying part of this grief process. I'm also aware, by the way, that some things might come up that I don't know, and I'm, I'm waiting for those. So 
Doug, do you know what I wonder? I wonder if you grieved her a long time ago and cried for her a long time ago. And so this is just closure and relief, but your grief process, you've already worked through it, possibly. Talia, I'll tell you, I think that's exactly right. Um, and it's been interesting because, you know, we help other people in their, in our practice to do that, right? We work our, with our clients on resolving some unresolved stuff from very complicated childhoods at times, but you know, you never know until it really happens how it's going to turn out. But right. I think that work that I did a couple decades ago with my therapist and, you know, he and I worked together on what I was going to say to my mother about it. And I remember the golden day when my mother was at my house and she said, was I, was I really that bad of mother? And I said, you were. And I remember it just came out of my mouth and I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, my mother wasn't the type of person. She had some personality disordered traits. She wasn't the type of person that could take in that information and she couldn't, you know, kind of process it well, but she just kind of stared at me and I thought, well, at least I, I said it and I got it off my chest. The other thing about this that's mm. really, really critical is that when you do that sort of work, what I found is that I was able to be her power of attorney with my younger sister uh, during her last few years of her life. And it gave me this peace to be able to like be grateful for the life that she gave me, be grateful for the life that I have. And yet kind of in a way of giving it back and, and giving my thanks back, taking care of her during these final years. I so, mean, it's incredible. Just to the maturity and the growth and the way you're even looking at it, it's just, it's blowing my mind, really. And I'm thinking sweet of about you. just this, like, abusive, the piece of the, the power structure and all of the work that you must have done to be able to even not feel like a tiny little powerless kid when she's saying, was I really that bad of a mother? And for you to be able to be like, I'm an autonomous adult that no longer needs you for survival. So I can actually be honest with you about this. And, and then like the ultimate autonomy of like having the power of attorney and figuring out what happens with her estate and her things. I mean, yeah. it's like full circle. I appreciate all of those comments. Greg, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that I think that it's also a great reminder that um, when someone tells you that their mom died or they're going through something, that if their reaction isn't what you would have to mm -hmm. your situation, yeah. that's okay. And yep. that's not your journey. And they may have already processed things or they may be, you know, there's, there's more going on there than you always know. And cause I know a lot of times when people hear about that, there, a lot of assumptions start running immediately into how to talk about it, how to express condolences or thoughts about it. Yep. Also, well, do you need to take time off? Do you need to vacate or <laughs> whatever you need? It's all best intentions, of course, but it's not, if, if you receive, if you, if you perceive that the reaction is not what you expect, that's okay. Yeah, Greg, I appreciate that. You know, it, it's interesting how many people who may not know my story, uh, who aren't in my closer inner circle, you know, people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, and, and you feel odd saying, oh, right. it's okay. Um, and I, I'm, it's a, you know, I have kind of this framework uh, by which I express, you know, it was a complicated relationship. I really grieved and exactly what you said, Talia, I grieved having a maternal person in my life. And, you know, I, I must tell you, I am incredibly grateful 
to all of the other people in my life who kind of took on that role, who were nurturing to me, who gave me a sense of confidence and affirmation. And the funny thing is like, boy, I can look back to very, very early days. Um, it's interesting to think about the memorial service back in the, the hometown that I grew up in for the last half of my life. My parents moved from Southern Minnesota to, to Central Minnesota. And you know, the thing that I was struck by is there are people that I hope come to the memorial service who are still living who I can say thank you to, and they are teachers and they are coaches Aww. and they are people who, you know, were very affirming of me. And it was just such a jarring experience given the lack of consistent messages in that way growing up. And, you know, I am grateful for my life. Um, I'm grateful that I was able to kind of get to that place where I could help care for her uh, for the rest of her life and make it comfortable. The other thing that was really, really striking to me, and I've known this for some time, like I, I think women of that generation and men as well, like they were so socialized to like do a certain thing. Like I think the expectation was get married and have kids and be a housewife or whatever it was back in those days. I don't think my mom was meant to do that. Right. I think if she had been able to feel comfortable making the choices to be single or to be something else or whatever it would be, to I just not don't think have this was, children. I don't think she was meant to be a mom. It wasn't like an instinct of hers. You know, I feel, I feel really uh, parental and uh, paternal in terms of, you know, wanting kids in my life and, and being a dad to my two kids. I don't think my mom felt that. And that's okay. And I'm sad that she had to live there, that life that way. Yeah. So there lots of awareness. There was a really powerful book. Did you ever read the Jeanette McCurdy I'm glad my mother died or I'm glad my mother's dead. <laughs> I read an I, article about it. I didn't read the book. Holy crap. Well, it was so good. She was like the adorable little like tomboy on iCarly. Oh, my my younger watched iCarly. We watched it every every time it was on. It was, I mean, a similar story of just like a, a mother with a lot of different personality disorder traits, very religious, very enmeshed. It was, but all, I think so many people can relate to this feeling of just incredibly complicated grief. Yeah. And, you know, alongside all of that, I think Jeanette McCurdy's book, I mean, the title of it is just kind of shocking, right? Like, it's shocking, right? You know, like, it's that's not, not okay to feel that absolutely. way or think that way. I mean, Talia, that's it. It's not okay. And so I feel a little bit weird, too. And I remember, you know, getting up and dancing that day, um, Todd recall, I think it was, it was his latest CD and I was having, you know, so much fun dancing around. I'm like, and I had to go to the nursing facility that day to help empty out her room with my uh, sister and a friend of hers, Julie, thank you so much for your help, Julie. But, you know, I think it was, it was a really weird day. And then I yeah. went back to work the next day. Like I was seeing, seeing clients the next day and my regular appointment times and didn't skip a beat, didn't skip a beat. And and feel really great about that. But the other, and the other thing I've noticed about it is you'd kind of do this life review, no matter what the circumstances are. So I have a lot of memories, a lot of thoughts about that as time goes on. But um, I also feel like what a great opportunity to, again, have some closure and start really, really putting that behind me and moving forward, but while not forgetting, mm. because I think forgetting is a mistake too. So well, congratulations. You've arrived. Thank Welcome. you, darling. Welcome to the next chapter. Thank you for there your you support. Go. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. So let's dive into our mailbag for today. Dive yes. in. <laughs> All right. And also, I mean, before we get into it, if you have any questions, any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at questions at we're not fine .com And 
you know, we'll all try to come together and figure it out. We may not have all the answers and you, you know, cause there's always context you know, that, that uh, is sometimes missing from the questions we receive, but we'll well, always have something to say. Well, (laughs) that is so true. (laughs) (laughs) We lack for conversation in this podcast. We just Mm. can never come up with anything to say. Yeah. All right. So here's our question for today. Okay. And this is Mike. I've been with my girlfriend for four months. We matched on the Tinder app. We both weren't looking for anything serious when we met, but we fell head over heels for each other and have spent so much time together since. She has basically moved into my apartment. I still love her and she's treated me better than any of my previous girlfriends, but ultimately I feel like we're incompatible. Please don't judge the situation, but she's a stripper and she told me this on her on our first date. At first I wasn't uncomfortable by it, but the more the more attached and in love I became with her, the more it has started to bother me. We just have different values and disagree on things, especially about my feelings towards her job. I would never want to make her quit something for me, but I really don't see a future with her if she stays on this path. She's been doing it for four years and it's not something I would judge her for, but I don't want to continue another four months if nothing changes. I love her so much, but I don't see this working out between us now. I've really tried everything to make it work, but it might be time to throw in the towel. What do you think? Oh, Mike. I I mean, I was concerned at the beginning when you were saying that it was four months and you're madly in love and then you moved in because as you may remember from other episodes, because I always say the same thing, people don't start leaking their ugly until at least five months in. And so you haven't even started to see all of the different facets. So there's one thing. And it sounds like you're stuck in a place where there's like an ultimatum brewing, right? And I was going to ask, have you already had a conversation? I mean, is this is is this a job or is this a career path? I mean, is she feeling it? Is this who she is? Is this who she wants to be? Is this who she's growing into? Is this something that is going to be in her life forever? Is it just a way to make money quickly for the time being? So like that, is it a value system? I mean... You didn't tell me how old you were, but I feel like you're young. I'm feeling like 23 to 25-year-old problems, maybe. I think 60s, and I think she is a particular kind of stripper. Then I would say that might be more career than job. Uh-huh. But it feels like if you're madly in love and you're thinking longer than four months or eight months or 40 years – this is just like a drop in the bucket. I mean, this can't be what's happening for the rest of your lives together. Um, I would love to be a part of this conversation between the two of you to talk a little bit. I feel like maybe there's something missing in the way that you're talking about this because I have a hard time believing that you're saying, I love you. I think you're amazing. I picture a future with you. And she's saying, I would like to be a stripper until I'm 98 years old. Does that work for you in our relationship? I don't know. Which is only 30 years away. I'm kidding. We don't know the age. They are. I I don't know. I feel like you've given us enough information, Mike. Um, Here's what I think about this. You know, um, in my practice, I have seen 
male and female sex workers. I have seen male and female strippers. Um, and being in that line of work, while I have no, I, I think what we have to do very clearly is ascertain this is a viable work situation for some people. I have had people in my personal life who have done it uh, in order to put food on the table for their child. And I support that, you know, there can be an adaptive and healthy way of being a stripper or a, suck, a sex worker. And I want to take all stigma out of it, first of all. Um, number two, um, but I do think that work requires you to be of a certain personality and manage the objectification that is inherent in that sort of work. And so I'm kind of curious, Mike, about what it is that if I asked you, like, what were you looking for in a relationship? Um, was this person someone who met that criteria going specifically, Talia, to your comments? Like, you know, if she met your criteria for what was a good girlfriend and, and partner in life uh, at this point in your life, I'm not sure what the issue is. But my guess, Mike, and I don't want to assume this, is that, of course, it was maybe a turn on for you, as it might be for people to be dating someone who is perhaps an attractive person physically. Um, and maybe there has been and I've had one one dude who was a sex worker that I worked with who said it was really hard for him to be seen as a, a human being with feelings and not someone in the bedroom that would perform for his partner. Um, and so we internalize maybe what her experience is. And you have to remember that she's a, a human being and a person and deserves every ounce of respect in this communication as you move forward. So if her being a stripper is the issue, I mean, again, if you see something, say something is my motto. So you've got to talk to her about it. You've got to let her know how it feels to you and give her the opportunity to comment on not only what it is that's going on, because you somewhat seem to focus in this question on the fact that she's a stripper. I don't know what the issue is really for you. Like what happened here? And was that part of the appeal for you? And if it was, that's that's on you and not a great way to evaluate someone. Um, I would also be curious about like, what is the pain point here? Is it that you don't yeah. like that other men are objectifying her? Is it that she maybe is getting joy or satisfaction or fulfillment from being really confident and sexy in her body and having people look at her in that way? Is it something that maybe you could compartmentalize the work she's doing, but is it spilling over bleeding into maybe what it feels like to go out on dates or people who are reaching out to her or people following her on social media or like what isn't working about it? Well, what's not working? And again, I get, I think one of the pieces we consistently focus on is communication. Like what is the experience that she's having? I, I'm not I'm not sure that I heard enough in the presentation or the question about what it is that her experience is as a stripper and what's going on for her and how she feels about it. And if you're making this decision in somewhat of a, a one-sided or autonomous way, that's a mistake. Have a conversation. You might find out something about, you know, her experience that you don't know. This is a very new relationship. I'm going to share Talia's concern that this was a quick move in. Um, I have seen people do that. I have a buddy who did that recently. And so there is a point at which, you know, when you do it quickly um, and, and you're not really well thought out about what it is and there isn't a really clear understanding of what the relationship is, that's where we run into trouble. I also have like one more little thought about there's this magical window when people start dating 
and I feel like I may have said this before, but when people start dating, there is like maybe a month or two at the beginning where if you're really attracted and you're really lit up about the person, they could tell you, I'm a stripper. I killed somebody. I spent 20 years in jail. I am a pedophile. I don't know. Like they can tell you all sorts of things about their deepest and darkest, but we are a little bit blinded by our lust and we will be like, okay, I could work with that. I, that's all right. That's That could work for me. I just like can't lose this relationship because I'm so attracted to you. And then maybe the reality set in when you guys moved in together that like, ooh, what did I get into here? Yeah. But in this instance, I mean, she was very forthright in their first date. So he's known about this from the beginning. Yep. And right. to, to that point though, Talia, and I think as a reminder to, to, to everybody, you do get to learn, learn more about people as you go through. And if he's never dated a stripper before, maybe he didn't really understand what that meant in terms of her possibly being recognized by regulars out and, right. you know, when they're going shopping or at a restaurant or something, or, um, you know, what that lifestyle means in terms of her hours, you know, when she's, maybe she's working all night and then sleeping most of the day. And, you know, it, it, there's, there's all, all sorts of stuff that comes with that, that you learn about as you go on. And at least he, if, if, if he's not communicating, at least he's taking inventory of how he feels yep. right now before it goes on you know, like he said, another four months. Right. So that's, Good that's point. a plus in his, in his corner, but you guys, I think you both are uh, hit the nail on the head that there needs to be some communication immediately about <laughs> what's going I, on here. And I agree with that, Greg. I think there's a point at which, yes, we learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. But I'm also going to maybe disagree a little bit, Talia, that I think people in general, I, I think people have more an awareness, like when something in the date hits them, I've had so many people tell me about like, ah, yeah, I got to be honest. I don't think anyone, no matter how attractive somebody <laughs> is, I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, you're a pedophile. Oh, you're, <laughs> you've been accused of rape several times. Oh, oh, okay. Um, let's keep going. You're so attractive. I don't think that happens. Um, and I can use it. I think a you might be right. I think <laughs> you might be right about that one. I may but be retracting my statement. <laughs> I was just like picturing some really like nicely defined cheekbones and like some like, no, I'm kidding. You're right. You're right. But you know, Gross. Talia, the other piece that I think about is, and I remember being on a date maybe 15 years ago with this dude that we went out to dinner and he goes, so I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm a, I've been a sex worker. And he was the person that told me he needed to put food on the table. It was a, during that really difficult time in the economy, he had lost his career. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was an interesting time. And I remember looking at him like, I, I, okay, but I wanted to know, and this is the therapist in me. Like, I wanted to know, like, what does that mean for you? And what was the aftermath of that for you? And are you okay? Do you have any trauma? Did anyone do anything bad to you that was assaultive or traumatic in ways that would have affect us? You know, and the point being, Greg, going back to your comment that of course we learn more about people as we go. What I hope everyone in a relationship knows is that this is not like, you know, these are the bullet points on that person's Tinder app, which you you know, met on. These are the things that are going to be forever. Like every, every junction of your relationship, you got to be able to communicate and life is going to throw us a shitload of curveballs. 
Not I said balls. balls last time. I just said balls last time, which, yes. you know, whatever. You meant um, to say curveballs, but you were like, I? sometimes life throws a lot of balls at me. Well, uh, maybe that's what I meant. But That was my mo- favorite part of the episode, though. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's the piece. Like, we have to listen to ourselves and we have to recognize, like, what do we bring into this relationship? And the biggest issue for me, again, might be for Mike, like, did this person meet your criteria? Like, are they all the other things that you're looking for in a girlfriend in your life? And if so, I feel like this might be something to negotiate and work through mm-hmm. instead of running away. Because there's something about how this was worded and how, you know, the mailbag came in that tells me there's some judgment and I don't like the judgment part. It well, doesn't I work for me. I think that Greg is onto something of that, like, we learn more and more every day and we can have an idea in our head about what it would be like to be living with or spend the rest of our lives with someone and let, and compartmentalize their career until you're living with them. And then you might not realize all of the different pieces that are involved in that. Just like Greg was saying is that, oh, I thought I was going to be okay with this. And now that I'm looking at it every day, I don't really feel as okay with it as I thought I was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, it sounds like communication. Communication. Always. What and self-awareness. Novel like, idea. Well, and self-awareness. Recognize yeah. what is going on for you. Be curious about what's going on for her. And good luck in your communication. Yes. Yes. Good luck. And not everything works out, but every door that closes, another window opens, which is not oh, cheesy at all. It's very cheesy. It's not cheesy at all. <laughs> I'm smelling Gouda from the or other Or sometimes room. the door closes and all the windows are closed and then you just suffocate. So good luck. I'm, I'm, good luck, Mike. <laughs> I'm curious what this next mailbag is going to do, if it's going to be super... If, if you guys are going to be on the same page, if you guys are going to think it's a cut and dry yes or no situation, mm-hmm. um, it's, I'm it's, ready. It's, it's interesting. I, I, and I'm, I hope our audience is not polarized in, in, in this as well. Anyway, this okay. is from Shannon. Okay. It's very short. My boyfriend sent nudes to a random girl online and talked to her for a month without my knowledge. I consider this cheating what do other people think about this behavior? I just want to feel validated, I guess, that, and I've had others tell me it's normal behavior for men to do this. Oh, what do you Doug. think? Doug. <laughs> oh my God. I have like 15, 20, 30 thoughts immediately. Greg, as you probably could have guessed, this will not be a cut and dry comment um, really? or, or discussion. Huh. Absolutely not. Okay. There's several things I think about that. First of all, what is considered cheating is entirely subjective. There is no criteria for what it is. Every single couple gets to decide what this is um, and, and how this you know manifests in your relationship. I'm going to dig really, really deep for a second and talk about attachment and how we establish secure attachments. You know, everyone comes from a different background. And so what you need to build trust and and safety and rapport and consistency in your relationship is different for you than it might be for anyone else. And you get to have a response to this in whatever way you do. So if you decide this is cheating, I cannot trust him now, and you're not able to work through it and move forward, of course, you probably need to end this relationship. I want to say to the whatever person is telling you this is normal behavior to send nudes to other people, 
uh, while you're in a committed monogamous relationship, if that's what the two of you have decided you're in, bull fucking shit. Like, I don't know where men get off the hook on like doing whatever they want to do with whoever they want to do. That's not how it works. Men have the responsibility. This, this dude that you're with has the responsibility to be upfront and say, you know, I enjoy it. It's something I want to do. I want to talk to other women. Are you okay with that? Be upfront about what you want. We live in this glorious time of history where especially, you know, millennials, I think, kind of paved the way for these Gen Zers who are opening up all different ways of being in relationships, whether it's poly, whether it's non-ethically non-monogamous, whether it's whatever we want to call it. There are so many ways of being in relationships now. So you two need to get to negotiate this. But you do not, going back to the four C's of communication, I mean, four C's of relationships, once you develop a contract for your relationship, neither one of you get to break that without really a consequence to the trust that you've built. So if this goes outside of whatever you two agreed this relationship is, of course, confront him and find out what he says. I'm also the person who believes, having had several couples come into my office over the course of my career, who have big, huge betrayals of trust. You can recover. That person has to know why the hell they did it. They have to apologize and have remorse in a really sincere way, and they need to never do it again. You can rebuild trust, though. But do not let him off the hook and say this is just a normal thing, but you have to decide, is it okay with you? I don't think it is. So do not you know, settle. Settling is a bad idea. I just don't like it. I'm all riled up about this. I mean, I, I'm speechless because I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I have anything more to add. I mean, so all I'm going to say is summarizing what Doug already said. There are no rules. You create the rules in your relationship. We can't decide if this is okay or if this isn't okay. You're the only one who gets to decide, is this a part of the rules, the negotiated discussions in your relationship? Is that okay? Do you both do that? Or is it something that he went a little bit rogue and was a little bit sneaky? And if so, that's a huge problem, I would say. And you guys, I don't know. Did I... We're, how long have they been together? We don't even know. It doesn't even we matter, honestly. Her name is Shannon. 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 Lovely name. It's the sneaky. It's the behind the scenes. It's that you had to find out. All of that. That doesn't bode well. And what Doug was saying is, I've also seen couples make it out of this alive. But the level of remorse and agreed upon transparency, like the entire structure of the relationship needs to change to build that trust back. One of the things so, I go ahead. I was just going to say, not, not disagreeing with what you guys said at all. Oh, give wanted, it your best but, shot. But, but I wanted, but I did want to throw in um, an additional viewpoint in that he may not think it's cheating. He may legitimately be acting out on some desire or affirmation or something that he's trying to acquire. And through, sure. that, commu through that communication with you, you may learn that he maybe has a fetish or maybe has a need that's not being fulfilled. And or that a may be something you guys. Addiction. Yeah, or that may be something you guys can work on together. So it might be a growth. It might be not, not necessarily an immediate, like, like kind of confrontation, but it might be a growth opportunity to grow closer together or understand, you know, why this is happening. Um, now, granted, 
I'm sure 99 times out of 100. <laughs> no, but I think you're bringing up a really good point that I think about sometimes with couples and boundaries and that we need to help our couples sort of calibrate their, um, what I call it is like your spidey sense of like the boundaries that um, if, some, if something is appropriate or inappropriate, not everyone has the same ideas about that. And so sometimes it's really good to have these values clarifications and boundaries clarifications as a couple, like throw yeah. out some vignettes. How would you feel about this, this, and that, and the other? And Greg, exactly what you're saying. Sometimes you'll find that some person will say like, yeah, I would have zero issue with that. That is no problem. That does not come anywhere near what would strike me as being sexually inappropriate or blurred boundaries and the other person's spidey sense of like, oh my God, what? You just like smiled at the waitress and exchanged a moment and the other person would be like, wow, that was just so not on my radar as something that would be inappropriate for our relationship. So again, communication is key. These are all just like conversations that would be good to have in an ideal world. You're having these fun conversations at the beginning of your relationship and ongoing before there's some sort of break of trust or trauma so that it can be, let's calibrate like our boundaries so that we're on the same page before there's a trauma. First of all, I love spiders as much as everyone knows that I love monkeys. So yeah, monkeys, anyway, spiders, monkeys balls. and spiders, two of my favorite. <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, here's what I also want to say. Like one of the things that I'm really, I guess, happy about how I perceive the work that we do and the questions that come in is that I never feel a judgment. Like I don't feel judgy about this. Like the biggest word is curiosity. Like I'm always just curious about it. And it goes back, Talia, to what you just said. Like we got to find out what this is. But I just want to point out that we live in this world now of social media, cell phones that have cameras on them, et cetera. And so we're still kind of figuring out how all of this works. But let's be clear on something. To take a picture of your dick requires effort, lighting, <laughs> angles, all that sort of thing. Oh, my God. Lighting <laughs> angles? Um, I speak from no personal experience, but uh -huh. I just want to I just. Do you need, say, like, a ring light or, like, is natural light better? I mean, like, what are um, we talking about here? No, that's another episode. This is what I, this is what I, or, or our couples retreat when we do it. This is what I want to say about it, though. Like, really, it's, it's something that, again, you get to hold true Shannon to who you are. If you're uncomfortable with it, if it doesn't feel like it's within the confines of what you understand your relationship agreement to be, absolutely go after it. But I would not make any assumptions about what it is. He may not, going to your point, Greg, he may not think it's uh, a violation of their their trust. But when you are exploring nude experiences, which are sexual with other people, that is not a monogamous relationship anymore. It's a relationship with some extra thrills. And it might turn out that that becomes a way that they stay stimulated and they stay fun and they stay, you know, having an edge to their relationship. That's why some people open up their relationships. Which Again, that's why it needs to be a communication, yeah, right? All of um, it needs to be a communicated all the time. Would it be You're going totally back to lighting? out of line for me to say that I want to know, I want you guys to let us know through questions at we're not com. I am willing to speak for all women, which I'm sure some women are going to disagree Don't do with. that. I'm doing it. 
I'm doing it right now. It's going to happen. Women don't want to see a picture of your penis. I can't wait for women to write in and want to be part of this dialogue. Uh, a number of them are my clients. So feel free to write okay. us and challenge write Talia us because I, okay, about I'm gonna, all women have all this experience. Women. I'm speaking BS. for women. Okay, because this is what I think. I think that women need at least 20 minutes or years <laughs> of like visual foreplay. Ooh. We need character depth. We need to know more about them. We need to know if they know the difference between there, there, and there in their grammar and their Ooh. spelling. We need to know about the relationship with their mother. And then maybe we'll see a picture of their penis. Like maybe. Yeah. So no. I, I, I'll, I'll just say this for Doug. So he doesn't have to um, jump out of the couch. Um, <laughs> I, some of the horniest people in my entire life I've known are women. You go, girls. And, and, oh, and, but and, seeing people's penises has nothing to do with being horny. I'm oh, saying it, that they that they desire to see it all, and they there's no there's no slow walking to that journey at all. Like they they want it, and they, so I, I, that's all I'm going to say. But I think at the root of all this that we're all talking about is communication. <laughs> And we're done. Relationships. And in and conclusion, communicate. Conclusion. It's a surprising conclusion for us. Wow. Very surprising. But I can't wait for that topic. Twenty more questions. Okay. All right. Fine. Oh, I want to know. This tell, is about Shannon. Oh, I'm sorry, Shannon. <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you. Um, I do. Maybe, maybe just like a good communication over. A good cup of coffee about if that oh is my cheating or not. <laughs> Where does the coffee come in? Well, I was going to say wine, but um, I keep on talking about like coffee. You don't need a beverage to communicate, Shannon. You need your oh. mouth. <laughs> All right. Good luck, Shannon. Thank you. Take care, Shannon. We got your back. Bye, Shannon. Have a question for Doug or Talia. Email us your questions at questions at renotfine.com. Eligible questions will be randomly selected for upcoming episodes. For details, visit our website at we'renotfine.com. Join us every Tuesday for new conversations, new challenging topics, and fun. Good luck, Cindy.